Welcome to The Mental Cast, powered by Soul Performance Academy. The Mental Cast is a podcast focused on the topics and people helping drive us forward in leadership, learning, and our personal journeys. Just a reminder, you can send in your questions using the hashtag AskDanMickle, A-S-K-D-A-N-M-I-C-K-L-E, or sending an email to info at danmickle.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Mental Cast. Hello and welcome to the Mental Cast Season 3, Episode 5. And today I am honored to have Sadie Evans on with us. Sadie is a entrepreneurial coach, an author, um, has a great backstory and a journey. So we're going to kind of touch on that. Um, Sadie, why don't you say hello and, and let's start and just give us a little bit background of where you come from and, and kind of what has made you you. Hello, um, I am Sadie Evans. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm an author, speaker, and like you said, a self-development life coach and consulting. And how I got started on the journey is by really taking my own experience and things that I've learned in my education and um, deciding that I wanted to help others be able to walk on this journey as well and succeed on it. So let's talk a little bit with how all this started. I mean, as as someone that does some life coaching and, and business coaching, I certainly wasn't sitting in elementary school saying, hey, it'd be great to be a life coach and and kind of go that route. So how, how did you get to that point? At what point did you realize, like, what was it because of the struggles in, in how you grew up that you thought you could help people? Or was there always that kind of thing in the back of your head that said, you know what, I, I want to educate and help people in what they want to do? Well, that has always been with me since I was like eight. Um, a little bit about my story. I was actually born while my mother was in prison. So I really didn't, when my mother got out, my grandmother raised me. So when my mother got out is when I met her. So I always knew I wanted to rehabilitate people coming out of prison because my parents, it was a never ending cycle. So that was from a child. So as I got into school, I was always the one that was helping people when they were getting bullied or I always had a helping spirit to myself. So I went to school for cosmetology and I wanted to help people feel beautiful but that just didn't seem like enough. It was like, I was only making people feel beautiful on the surface. So I wanted to dig deep and um, help people heal from trauma and things of that nature. Cause I went through that. So I decided to go to school for human services, which helps deal with the whole individual. So I have a background in human services and Kazi and that's all helping people. So this is something I believe that was just in me. It's my calling, it's who I am. And I said, why not um, start a business? Because bills got to be paid. We got to be honest there. Bills got to be paid. Um, and people retain information more when they pay for it, I believe. So I said, why not start a business and help individuals get their life on track, help them um, process and heal from past trauma and be successful in life. And that's how Sadie Mae Evans Coaching and Consulting came about. 
Let's, you touched on a great point. Most of the guests that I've had on the past, we, we've all hit that point where we kind of started out doing it for free or helping those people around us. And we started to realize like, hey, this can be a business. And like you said, we need to pay the bills. Was there a time where like you really struggled with, okay, I need to actually make this a business as opposed to something I like doing? And how hard was that coming up with, you know, it's easy, I think, for us to come up with the content and how to help people. But I think actually starting the business and making it a business model is probably the toughest part of what we do. Um, Was there a struggle there or was it pretty easy, you know, transforming it from just helping people out to actually paying the bills and making money doing it? Oh, it was a huge struggle Um, because, again, when we are helping individuals, we want to help them. So we feel like charging them is not really helping them. That was a huge struggle. And I considered it, honestly, I still considered it a poverty mindset because all the grit and the things that we had to go through to get to where we are, um, it came at a price. If that price was sleepless nights, sometimes empty bank accounts, whatever it was, it came out of pri- at a price. So I felt like at this point, I had to rid myself from that poverty mindset and stop surrounding myself with individuals that still had that poverty mindset. And I had to think on a higher level and realize that when I paid for information, I retained it better. So I was just giving and pouring and giving and pouring, but I was always being left feeling empty. And that person never, you've never seen a change in them. They didn't even appreciate it. So that's when I realized, I'm going to make this a business because if I make this a business, I'm only going to attract people that's ready. So I'm going to have results and they're going to be able to have results as well. Okay. So we, we get to the point where you're, you're ready to make this the business. Um, what's your first thought? What's your first, okay, this is what I need to do first, or this is the population I need. I know you mentioned about, you know, help rehabilitating people in prison. Was that your first thought or was it, okay, this is what the community around me needs. So I'm going to start there first. Well, my first thought was um, to heal. I mean, to help people that were single parents. Um, But I realized that it was broader than that. It all had a root. And where I started at is really building my audience, seeing what my audience needed, seeing who are the people that's mostly attracted to me and speaking to them and doing little, um, you know, the little quotes you put on there, just seeing the traction that I was gaining and asking questions in my group. And once I did that, I realized that it was a lot of individuals that were struggling with going into prison and mental illness and being locked up. And I realized that's where it started when I was a little girl and that's where it's ending now um, is where I want to help individuals in that area. And I how do I you that correctly? <laughs> no, no, you did. And, and you hit some key points for, for me, it was easy transition because I started in the sports world and most of my clients was performance psychology, sports psychology. And then it kind of transitioned into the corporate world and the personal world and life coaching but how do you get to that point? I mean, it's not like you're putting up flyers, you know, at the prison trying to find people or was it just finding community people or you just randomly running into people and talking and saying, I can help. And like, how did you seek out your audience? Um, I mainly made them while I was in school and I made 
my audience because that's for my business process the purpose that's my nonprofit organization so I have two business that I had to do this with so with process the purpose ministries what I did is I um, went to school for human services and I did most of my practicums in facilities that were like um, halfway houses and treatment centers and things like that and I began to build an audience there and then that led to me getting online, getting in on Clubhouse and speaking in groups, individuals that struggle with mental illness, that had issues with, you know, prison or ju uh, justice system. So it started there on Clubhouse and then I began to build it there with my life coaching business. That's more for healing people that had childhood trauma. So that was the really, really the hardest struggle because a lot of people don't like to talk about trauma. So what I did again is clubhouse. I began to speak in clubhouse. I began to seek out um, organizations that helped young girls that were troubled, that helped young men that were troubled. I began to speak at these events and partner with people. And that's how that came about. How do you- So of course networking, it's, it's really networking. Um, contacting doing the gritty work like contacting organizations that have the same vision as you how how do you take it all in and not have it affect you i mean your your population you probably have to deal with some pretty rough topics and and pretty rough things and i'm sure helping those people kind of helps you but that's got to be a lot to take on right at any given time you could have you know five clients that have pretty pretty rough stories you know, and just one of those clients would probably be pretty rough for you to shoulder. So how do you, you know, just kind of decompress and, and work and deal with it? I had to learn because at first I was really um, getting really emotional and, you know, overstepping boundaries where you develop a friendship outside of a just that's my consumer. Um, you know, so what I had to do is really stop having sympathy and really have empathy. And that's something I had to train myself. I had to say, I understand their situation. I can picture myself in their shoes, but I don't have to get consumed in it. And it doesn't have to worry me where I can't sleep at night because I'm thinking about how to fix state issue. So I kind of had to, and this is just being honest, detach my emotions from it and look at this as a job. And that's, it seems harsh to say that, because I'm in the helping field, but it's honest, it's reality. And if you do not learn how to not have sympathy, the words are very similar, but they're completely different. Not have sympathy for them, have the situation, but have empathy, empathy for the situation and realize this is not my situation. I don't have to consume myself. I don't have to feel sorry for them. Because when you begin feeling sorry for people, you're trying to fix the issue. You try to fix it. But when you have empathy for the person, you realize, okay, this is not my issue. I understand what they could potentially be going through. I have compassion for it, but I don't have to consume myself in it. I, I love how you make that differentiate between the sympathy and empathy, because I think too many times we tie them together. People, people feel that they're the you know, the same cloth and they're, and they're really not. And I love how you talk about, you know, separating and, and, and being able to sleep at night. Cause there are certainly a lot of things that if we develop those relationships and they become too personal, um, end up affecting us and, and how we work. Um, yes. what do you find 
man, there's so many ways that, that this, this question can go, but what do you find um, as the biggest challenge day to day for you as, you know, running a business and, and doing what you're doing? Is it, you know, dealing with the issues or is it the business side of things or always trying to keep on top? You know, you mentioned Clubhouse a year ago, we weren't even talking about Clubhouse and now that's blowing up like TikTok, you know, it's the TikTok of, of this couple years. Um, yeah. And we could all spend our time learning how to be better content creators and podcast hosts and a million things. But what do you struggle with most in, in your business model? I feel like my greatest struggle is with showing up and being compassionate and just being um, genuine because some days, and that's just being honest, because some days I don't feel like showing up. Some days I don't feel like, I feel like I got life going on and I don't want to hear you know, but that's my biggest struggle. But I have to get, I have to get into the flow of this is my career. This is what I'm, I feel like it's my calling. I do. I feel like this is my calling. And although what I'm going through, it shouldn't consume me enough where I cannot do what fulfill what I'm supposed to fulfill while I'm on this earth and fulfill what I'm supposed to fulfill to be able to pay my bills as well. So my thing is not taking in other people's problems. That's not my biggest struggle, the business model. It's more so dealing with my own issues and being able to show up and be genuine and be an ear and a shoulder and be able to give people the strategies when I'm going through my own mess. Yeah, that's what I struggle too, because if I'm not at my best or I'm not fully vested in say a session with a client, it, it could be the session that they really need me and it could be a turning point. Yeah. And, and I often worry about that when I end a session, like, did I give them my full attention and, and did I offer the best I could? Because for them, I could be their lifeline and I just missed an opportunity. Um, and, and it could be really tough to reflect on that. Absolutely. I always say, um, because I was, when I did my podcast, I had became inconsistent and I had got a phone call one day and the person on the other end was telling me that they had a client that was really going through some things and she had her listen to one of my podcasts, Shift Your Mindset. And she said that the lady was like, oh my gosh, I needed that. The lady was crying and a light sparked in my head. And I said, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about what that other person may need. That might be the day I don't want to show up. Might be the day, like you said, that they have their breakthrough or that's their lifeline. Something might spark in them to change or shift that day that we don't want to show up. So it's really not about us when our calling is to help. But life happens to us as well. So you you end up you you become the life coach and you're and you're you're doing all this stuff in person and you're doing the podcast and then somehow in all this time you find ways to write probably what eight books I think is what I counted. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about them, but let's, let's talk first about the ones that are geared towards kids. Um, just like you, um, a black boy, you're a king and a black girl, you're unique. What kind of, was it your growing up that led you to write that? Or was it more like what you're seeing now? And you're like, this, this space needs these books. The just like you, that it was inspired by my son. I have a special needs son. And one day he came home from school and he said, none of the kids like me and the teachers never let me answer questions. 
And um, at that moment, he asked me like, why did God make me like this? Or why am I like this? Or uh, why nobody else is like this? And at that moment, I had to explain to him that we are different and we all have a different way of learning things, but we all still are unique in the same together. You get what I'm saying? So I had to, I said, you know what? I'm going to educate other children and some adults um, about just because we all don't look alike or we don't learn alike or we may have something different does not mean that we're just a totally different person. We all are humans, okay? Red, whatever, we all are humans. So that's how that book got inspired. And then Little Black Boy, You Are a King and Little Black Girl, You Are Unique. Those books got inspired because when I was growing up, um, there was a lot of verbal abuse in the home and it made me feel like I was less than, and I was not able to achieve things that I could have achieved if I would have been built up in the home. So I wrote that book. And I wrote that while the George Floyd situation was going on, actually, because I felt like so many, all that the news and stuff was showing was African-Americans being murdered, African-Americans being hated, just all this negative stuff about African-Americans. So I said, let me write these books for little boys and girls that may be watching the news and they think less of themselves because what they see. So I wanted to write that to edify them and inspire them and just show them some other African-Americans that paved the way for them. Mm. How, how do you, I would imagine with the population that you work with and, and, you know, your circle, how trying has this last year and a half been from that standpoint, especially with the children? Um, You know, we see on the news, obviously the struggle that the African-American community is having with all this, but it's usually focused on the adults and, and, you know, reform and how we can reform. But how are you seeing it playing out with the younger population? And, And, you know, what are some things that we can do there? feel like it's really really sad and I feel like a lot of young kids especially um fifth sixth and up fifth fifth and sixth grade and up is gonna have to get some type of therapy because um what they see is is just awful the things that I hear because I have a son that's in sixth grade and then I my special needs son when the George Floyd situation was going on they all they got to talk about is why do the police hate black people blah blah just all this negative stuff and sometimes you don't know how to answer those questions and then I see their friend they see the police and they only 12 and they see the police and they start running or they hide and it's just like wow um that it shouldn't have to be like that and I feel like what we can do is I believe that if we can come together and just show them that the police are to serve and protect, it's bad people everywhere, right? everywhere around the world. So I, I'm i trying, what I do in my home and when my kids' friends are over is I show them good stuff about police because honestly, I wanted to be a police officer when I was younger. And my daughter, she's only four, but she always says she wants to be a police officer. So I show them good things about that. I show them good things about African-Americans. And a lot of my friends um, say sometimes like, oh, you need to educate them on this or you need to teach them. And I'm, I'm like, I don't drill racism into my kids' head. I educate them on the surface, but I don't drill them. I don't make it a scary thing to them. I tell them all races have something, some bad people in there. Right. And, and that's the challenge, right? You, we we, we kind of have to counterbalance the, I hate to use the term mainstream media, but, you know, the, the popular news 
trying to grab the headlines and and what our kids see every single day in school or what they hear in school and and, and how they interact. Um, so that leads me to your the cries from a gracefully broken woman. Um, seems like a a pretty deep and personal you know story. Can you give us a little bit of background on that book? Yes, that is my my journey um, in life, what I've been through. And it's a self-help book because I am huge on, I don't like, I'm not a, I'm a no excuse type of person. I believe like, okay, the problem presented itself. Let's find the lesson and let's create a strategy to achieve this thing. So that's why it's a self-help book. And I talk about how me being um, emotionally broken as a child led me to get into domestic violence relationship. I literally sought after dysfunctional men. And I talk about that and I talk about it wasn't until I started on my healing journey that I realized that that was not normal and dysfunction and love do not go together. They can't even coincide because nothing about love should be dysfunctional. So I talk about that. I talk about domestic violence, how I got out of it and just my journey of how the whole way from Nebraska, because I'm originally from Omaha, Nebraska. I've been in Georgia for two years and on the whole ride to Georgia, I cried and that's how the book, it just, the cries from a gracefully broken woman, it was my cries and my pleas and my victories and my failures and just everything about me mixed into one and how I was victorious out of all of this. And I just want to help other people to see that our painful process is going to get us to our purpose. It might not feel good at that time, but eventually we'll get there if we do not give up. All right, so I don't want to ruin the book, but were the cry, you know, you mentioned crying from from Omaha to Georgia, were the cries because of what you're leaving behind or was it because you were making the change and making things better or obviously probably a combination of both? Yes, a combination of both. And it was so um, just clear, it was bittersweet because I began to see everything that I had went through in my life, it was shown to me how it was a lesson in that. It was a lesson in that. So I was able to see those lessons and I was able to leave that behind because I'm a first generational college grad, business owner, author, the first generation not return back. Um, And I just, it was just so much, it was just bittersweet. I felt like the journey that was ahead of me was far greater than the lessons, the painful lessons that I had to leave behind. So yes, it was definitely both. Do you feel there's a lot of pressure being first generational, you know, college grad, business owner, like you have to prove that you can succeed because you want others to follow in your footstep? Or have you actually been able to take it in and like, man, I've really accomplished this and and kind of broke the cycle of of what was going on? Actually, to be honest, it was really um it was really painful and it still is sometimes because my family does not like me. They think that I'm better, which I don't, that's not, that has never crossed my mind. So sometimes I feel like, why did I have to be the one to try and do things different? Or sometimes I feel like, wow, I really did this for my kids or my generation, the generations after me. But it's very um, up and down when it comes to that, because sometimes I feel like, wow, I could take it in. I accomplished so much. And then sometimes I feel like, 
wow, I wish I had my sister to call on. I wish I had family to call on. So it's really washy with me. Right, right. Have you gotten to that point where you can kind of just sit in the chair and be like, I did it? Like, obviously, there's a lot more in front of you, but have you at least had that moment like, I got the college degree. I started the businesses like, you know, fail or succeed on the business sense. Just starting it is alone its own success. Like, have you had that moment of reflection where you're like, okay, I did it. I have. Sometimes it feels like a dream. I'm like, um, I'm living a life that I've never, my kids are living a life that I've never even been able to enjoy. I'm living a life that I've never seen anyone in my family live. So it, it feels like, wow, is this real? Or sometimes I think, is this gonna get taken away? Or like, it's just, it's just, well, a lot that come with it. And that's why I speak about mindset so much because sometimes I feel like I think myself into depression or into an anxiety attacker because I just think about it so much. And then I start fearing that, oh, it'll be gone next year. I guess it's just a lot that goes with it. And I'm just being transparent right now. And I think that's what we need. We need these honest conversations and transparent because there's a lot of us that go through that. And, and, you know, what they hear on my podcast or what clients see is, is not what happens behind closed doors. You know, there's many of those nights where I put on the really depressing songs just to kind of get it out and, and recharge myself. And I think that's the side of, of things that people need to see. So what's your number one, like what's your main coping when, when you're feeling overwhelmed and all this is happening? How do you decompress and cope with it all? I write, I'm a writer at heart. This is what I do. So I journal a lot. So I just get it out of me. And I notice that each and every time that I get it out of me, I have a I create a strategy and then I'm able to help another person be able to go what I went through to be able to get through it. That's why my podcast, I say, let me encourage you while I encourage myself, because when I go through that and I write it out, I get it out of me. I can see, I can see light at the end of the tunnel. If, if I must say so. Right. So as we turn corner on, on this episode and, and start to go towards the end, what does, what's the future hold for Sadie Evans, like what, what, what is driving you and, and what are your ambitions and, and, and kind of where do you see yourself in the next five years? My drive is to continue to um, be that example for my children and then my children's children. What motivates me is knowing that I'm making a change and where I, the vision I have for myself, I have a vision of being sought after. I believe that people will begin to seek after me by the lives that I'm able to transform just from showing up and being honest and being transparent and being safe, true and authentically safe. How do you deal, like a, a big thing in our space right now that everyone's talking about is, is I think we all have a little bit of imposter syndrome. Do you have those moments when you're getting ready to speak or talk and you're like, man, I shouldn't be here. Like, why am I here? Why do these people seek me out? And, and how do you kind of overcome that? Ooh, that's wow. Yeah. <laughs> so that is very hard to overcome. Actually, I feel that way until I'm done speaking. And I, in my head, I'm like, 
I'm ready for this to get over. I'm ready for this. I haven't gotten to the point where I'm just so confident, like I deserve this life. I haven't gotten there yet. Um, so sometimes I'm still like, okay, but I'm still going with the flow. You will never know. But in my head, I'm still nervous and I, I'm still feeling like I'm not supposed to be doing this. This isn't me and things like that. So honestly, I haven't even gotten there yet. <laughs> yeah, that's... I remember a few years ago, I gave my first really big presentation is probably about 300 people at a conference. And the whole time I'm giving it, I know all the material. I, I just kept thinking to myself, why are these people here to see me? Why did they have, you know, five, five other sessions that they could have went to, but they decided to come here. And I started to learn how to channel that into that's what drives me now. And really what it is, is, you know, after that moment, you get that one email or that one text or that one phone call of someone saying, oh, thank you. And it's like, I don't care if out of those 500 people, 499 were haters. I, I touched that one person. And I think that's what drives me. But that that took me a while to, to figure that out. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's what drives me as well. Um, that in addition to what I've stated that my drive was is knowing that one life can be changed by you just showing up and being you. So if we wanted to get your books or learn more about you or your podcast, what are some of the ways that we can reach out and, and kind of connect with you? My books are available on or my website. My website are signed copies, and that's Sadie, S-A-D-I-E, May, M-A-E, Evans, E-V-A-N-S, dot com. If you would like to get in contact with me on Instagram, I'm Sadie May Evans, underscore coaching and consulting. I'm also that on Facebook, and my podcast is now on every platform. I'm trying to come become way more consistent with it. It is soulfood, underscore, with Sadie. Soul food underscore with Sadie. Yeah, we will make sure we put all those in the in the show notes, and everyone can can click on it. And um, ironically, my middle daughter, uh, her middle name is Anna May, and May oh. is, May is spe- spelled the same way. It was a, a hybrid of both of our grandparents. We kind of combined it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in closing, what's the closing message that you want to tell people? What's the big takeaway that you want them to have and, and moving forward? My life did not shift until my mindset shifted. And the way that that happened is to finally dig deep within myself, process, heal, and allow my past pain to transform me and not live on the basis of other people. Stop seeking validation from other people because you're only putting up a thought. You are never truly living life if you live to validate other people. Live life for you. Do what you're supposed to do, what you feel like makes you happy and not other people. That is my message. Live life for you and not on the terms of other individuals. Oh man, I got nothing I can add to that. That is absolutely perfect way to end this. Um, again, thank you so much, Sadie Evans, uh, life coach, author, entrepreneur, a little bit of everything, podcast host. Check out the notes to find all the ways to connect with her and to listen to her podcast. Thank you everyone for checking into the Mental Cast. I'm Dan Mickle, and we'll see you in a few weeks at the next episode. Thank you. Awesome, Sadie. Thank you so much. That's, that's 
Thank you for listening to The Mental Cast, powered by Soul Performance Academy and hosted by Dan Mickle. You can always reach the show on all social media platforms at the username at RealDanMickle or via the show's website at danmickle.com. Don't forget to check out our title sponsor, Soul Performance Academy, at the username at 717soul and on their website, 717soul.com. We hope you can join us for our next episode.